Um, I was asked to kind of present on the evolution and promise, well, not specifically this title, but kind of like the history of health IT in the U.S. and kind of really where we at right now. So um, as you can, I'm sure, understand, that's, that's quite a lot to cover in a short period of time. Uh, but I'll do my best. Um, I'm also a former Marine, and so we operate at a high-speed, low-drag type of mentality. Um, so again, uh, please bear with me as I talk fast and move quickly here. So first, uh, my name is Stefan Kanya. I serve as the Senior Advisor and Innovation Portfolio Lead for the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. Uh, and I'm going to cover here just a, a real quick history of, the health, of health IT in the U.S. Then I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about what, what's happening today and what's really driving innovation and uh, health IT adoption and, and utilization in the U.S. And then give a little bit of forecasting kind of what's going to happen in FY23 and, and beyond. So the three major kind of uh, tipping points in, in the health IT space in the U.S. Uh, are indicated here. So in 2004, by active executive order under the Bush administration, we had a position created, think of it as like a czar, right, by the White House, that was called the National Coordinator for Health IT. And the idea was that healthcare was lagging vastly behind every other major industry uh, when it came to the adoption of technology and coordination of its implementation. And we needed somebody to kind of get their hands around it and coordinate this on behalf of federal agencies, uh, is with the White House, and as well as with industry. Um, fast forward to uh, 2009 with the High Tech Act, which was part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. So this was really part of an economic development play to get the economy back on track. They decided to go ahead and directly incentivize the adoption of EHRs uh, and, and also started laying that down some of the, the framework for uh, health information exchanges to do some of that network uh, exchange of data between those different um, health systems and so on. Um, and this really started to, for the first time, actually get the adoption levels of technology and healthcare uh, at a point where tools can start to be developed to help kind of improve some of this. Um, not quite yet ready for fire, so kind of a little pun here because you've got, you know, the, the Stone Age here and, and cavemen. Um, so we're quite working with fire as far as a fast healthcare interoperability resource or FHIR. Um, and, but then in more recent years, uh, we started to explore more into that. Um, but again, this was a monumental time, billions of dollars being spent to subsidize what was available at the time, um, the EHR vendors, which were really more billing platforms at the time, um, and then try to kind of get those to evolve to becoming uh, care coordination platforms today. Um, obviously, we know there's been a lot of challenges in some of that. Um, but it's, it's right now, it's the 21st Century Cures Act, which actually uh, is, is guiding ONC's work. Now, the difference between the first um, executive order and the High Tech Act was the High Tech Act was the first time we became an agency by a statute. So we actually had statutory authority, could issue grants, had a regulatory, regulatory role with certif certifying health IT um, uh, products. And so if you think of an EHR, we actually set the technical functionality requirements for them. Um, and then the Cures Act was the first time that it gave us the ability to look at behaviors as well. So to go beyond just the core technical requirements. Um, and I'm going to cover a little bit more on the Cures Act in, uh, in a little bit. Uh, but really, this is kind of what's guiding us going forward, and we don't know what that next major piece of legislation will be to, to drive our work. Um, but just, it is good to kind of keep those in context. Uh, as far as our activities, people usually think of us in standards, our certification program, and uh, our, our focus on exchange of data. We do this in coordination with our federal partners, uh, as well as with uh, states and the public, including, you know, private sector. Uh, and these are our two kind of core objectives here uh, that we focus on. As far as the federal partners, a lot of people don't realize how many agencies actually touch healthcare data and health IT. Uh, you can see NASA is on this list as well. Um, and, and just to know, we manage something called the Federal Health IT Coordinating Council, 
Half of the agencies that participate in that, it's close to 40 federal agencies. Half of them are not inside HHS, and that's your left-hand side here. The other half are within HHS and ones that you would expect us to coordinate with. Um, but just to give an example of, of one that we coordinate with um, that wouldn't make sense to some people, uh, if you think of the United States Postal Service, why would we coordinate with them around healthcare data? Uh, well, there's a major issue with patient matching, and one of the key elements to help deal with patient matching nowadays is using address specifications. And so we work with them on standards for address, address specifications to help support patient matching. As far as uh, the HITECH Act, a lot of people also don't realize that it gives us uh, a very unique kind of authority and uh, in mandate to actually look at how do we create a more effective and competitive marketplace. And that's a pretty awesome responsibility and really drives a lot of our focus on engaging with the innovation community and actually filling a lot of my day-to-day -day work. So this brings us up to the current state of health IT. So that's kind of how we got to where we are. Um, and today where we are is really at this kind of battle, this transition point between really moving away from paper, uh, brick and mortar into a digitally native, digitally first uh, driven healthcare system. That doesn't mean we're there yet. It means that this transition is starting to happen and institutions like you've heard earlier this morning are really grappling with how do we make that transition and just start thinking about that. Uh, there we go. Uh, a lot of it is being driven by the 21st Century Cures Act, which actually went into law, as you saw on the, la the earlier slide, under the, the last year of the Obama administration, and it passed with broad bipartisan support. So this is not something that is you know, one side of the aisle or the other driven. It's, it's really both sides are fully on board with it. Um, and in fact, in the Trump administration, um, there, this is one area where there is a, a ton of continued uh, collaboration and, and commitment to implementing all the provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act, and that has also continued um, into the Biden administration as, uh, as, as we see today. Uh, but these are some of the core goals. I'm not gonna go through them in detail. The best place to learn more about this is uh, the, the landing page at the bottom, and hopefully we'll make these slides available. Um, and I'm gonna cover a couple of key things that it's doing that's gonna change the landscape. So uh, over the hype cycle, uh, you know, you would see High Tech Act was really early on saying, okay, let's move to digital. Back in before the High Tech Act, less than 10% of all healthcare data was in an electronic format. Manila folders, paper, filing cabinets is, is kind of what the industry standard was. Um, the High Tech Act with its subsidies for EHRs and meaningful use stage uh, uh, incentives um, really started to force that adoption. And now we sit at a place, uh, you know, after right around we're stage three, and that never fully went into effect, but by that time, we had moved from less than 10% to about 98% adoption of all healthcare information being really in electronic format. Um, now, these were digital filing cabinets that didn't necessarily talk to each other, which all of you are also pretty familiar with, um, and that's where the Cures Act comes in, right? And it's really designed to, you know, after this realization of this disillusionment of like the potential uh, for it to kind of transform the industry, the fact of all these headwinds around information blocking tactics and some of the anti-competitive behavior that we were seeing in the marketplace, the Cures Act hopes to address a lot of those uh, and take a more measured, realistic approach to how this is gonna advance us going forward. Um, so we're at the bottom of the trough, starting to, to kind of uh, you know, move towards the slope of enlightenment uh, with the real world uh, practical applications and, and, and opportunity for healthcare uh, technology in the US. So these are the kind of the key goals that we're seeing out of, uh, out of coming out of the 21st century cures, um, just to kind of reemphasize that. Uh, and, and I wanted to focus on the bottom around uh, safe, equitable uses of healthcare information. And this is kind of a, a shift for us. So at first it was like get it all digital, then we focused on make it all interoperable. And now we're evolving into our third phase, which has always been kind of chartered for us, which is now that it's digital, now that it's interoperable, and becoming more and more interoperable, how do we now put it to use and realize all the promise uh, of having the interoperable data? 
And so there's going to be a lot of focus around uh, responsible use, governance, et cetera, which we haven't done as much work on in the past. A um, couple of technical things in the Cures Act that everybody should definitely be aware of is USCDI. Um, and this is something that, that we established now and are on our third version of. So it's an annual process where we update kind of this minimum data set now for interoperability. Um, it's already in practice today. Uh, EHR functions are required through their certification program uh, using USCDI. CMS is also requiring uh, USCDI in some of their programs. There are networks like TEFCO, which we helped launch just recently, but also um, Care Quality, eHealth Exchange, Commonwealth that are also requiring USCDI. And then mobile apps, if you have an iPhone or if you have an Android and you're using either the Common Health app or the, the Apple um, Health app, uh, they're also using APIs and connecting with uh, USCDI aligning with that. So if your health system has signed up to be part of Apple or Android's uh, marketplace for getting all their data into it through that uh, API, um, it's based on USCDI elements. Uh, like I said, we're on version three, so subscribe to the bulletins to kind of get updated. It's an open, transparent process for how we get new data elements added to it annually. The current one was just released uh, July 19th of this year, and this is what it includes. The ones with the stars are the ones that were added since version two. So we're only in our third year, and you can see here how aggressive we're being on kind of expanding this, um, and this is all based on feedback we received from the industry. Uh, and so you can see about a third of the list, or 25% of the list that's here uh, came since the last version. Um, and a few of them change and gets kind of reclassified. But this is the, the core minimum data that needs to be available per the Cures Act and ultimately exportable via an API at the, at the uh, patient's request or for coordination of care. Um, HL7 Fire is also something that was further um, supported and, and recognized through uh, the, the Cures Act. Specifically, the ability to access APIs without special effort was the exact quote from the language. Um, so this minimizes all those anti-competitive tactics around tolling fees, uh, and, and in, uh, integration fees and, and development fees of those APIs and so on, that it basically needs to be part of core functionality um, in moving forward. Um, and so, again, this we think is going to really change uh, quite the landscape on letting third parties integrate with and compete in the marketplace. Um, and again, creating that climate for innovation with third party vendors and others. Um, the other thing is also there's going to be additional interactive functions. I'm not going to talk too much detail on that, but we can always talk about that more uh, on the side, especially if you want to learn more about HL7 Fire. Uh, certification for information blocking, two of the kind of policy components of this, uh, of the Cures Act. Um, ONC runs certification program. We set the criteria. The Cures Act required us to make a bunch of updates to it, um, partly to keep in touch with uh, some of the other provisions that were in there, so to make sure they all synced up. Uh, and there's some other new things. But I wanted to highlight this, this one section here that it says they must not only be with, without special effort, but it has specific details and policies around transparency and documentation related with it, that uh, fees that can be charged, and business practices of accessing those. Um, so we got very detailed in this uh, and, and went through our final rule development in that. Uh, and then information blocking. It set, you know, the Cures Act set for the first time in statute a definition for what information blocking was. It also set kind of a criteria for how people can potentially try to make a claim for exemption uh, relating to that. That doesn't mean they automatically get granted that, that claim, um, but they have to then document and explain why they're using one of those exceptions, and then we have to, at the federal government, agree with it. Uh, and ONC does that in concert with a few other agencies, uh, that assessment. Um, but a notable thing here is that Congress made this law about the data. Uh, and so, you know, again, for the first time, it's really focusing on healthcare information and not specific EHR certified products or other things like that. 
Um, so this is a, a notable difference here because now people need to start making this available at the patient's request uh, and in specific ways. Uh, otherwise, they could be penalized up to a million dollars per infraction. Um, and the penalties for providers are different and established different than it is for um, you know, HR vendors and, and HIEs. Um, the other thing here is uh, USCDI was included in the, the first round of what needed to be uh, considered for information blocking. That was the first reference, so there's some alignment with the other work. Uh, but as of October 6th, just uh, last week, all EPHI, um, electronic public health or personal health information, in a designated record set uh, now needs to be available in, in for, to, not, to be in compliance with information blocking uh, provisions. Uh, so that's, this is what a lot of people were calling on social media is a data interoperability day or you know, something else like that because it really did expand the scope beyond just USCDI. Um, if there's anything in that designated record set, it needs to be made available. Uh, and as far as the timing-wise, if you look at the two red marks at the end here, you'll see on the bottom, uh, when it relates to information blocking, October 6th was that deadline. If you see at the top, the certification program at the end of this year it needs to make sure that ultimately there's a FHIR API available uh, to make that data available through an API. Uh, and then at the end of next year, um, all EHR vendors need to have full export capability for all electronic health information. Um, so again, uh, these are some small technical things happening behind the scenes that an average patient doesn't have any idea about, but it's going to vastly improve um, their access individually to information as well as their um, uh, desire to, to, to use third-party vendors and apps and others to go get that data on their behalf. Um, it's going to enable that, that data flow. Um, the last couple things I want to close on real quick here is just some of the uh, current priorities that we're focusing on. Uh, certainly in this administration, the health equity by design is something that our boss, Mickey Tripathi, is, is really passionate about. Uh, and the idea is that thinking about the impacts of technology uh, and how it can have as they're building it early in the process, not after the fact, after it's being implemented, but starting early and throughout the entire development and implementation uh, and utilization life cycle. And thinking about potentially and constantly reevaluating what potential impacts can it have and looking for things like uh, both explicit and implicit bias as, uh, as, as well as um, issues with access and quality and so on. Uh, so again, this is one thing, more details to follow on this, uh, but I just wanted you to know this is a focus for us and, and the entire federal government. Um, the second is around responsible use of AI and health IT. Some of you might have seen the White House just come out with an AI Bill of Rights uh, framework. Uh, this is something we've been working closely with them on and trying to apply that to the healthcare sector. Um, we've been coordinating and working with all the other federal agencies, including the FDA, which is looking at expanding some of their scope uh, and what they consider to be uh, a, a device and, and can, when it comes to algorithms that are being used. Uh, and then we have a role, obviously, with our certification program to look at algorithms that are being deployed uh, through EHRs um, and integrated with them and, and what needs to go into make sure that they're being responsibly used, evaluated for things like bias and, and risk and harm and so on. Um, so, and the reason why I point this out is, you know, some people think, well, the FDA already regulates, um, you know, AI in, in, in medical devices and diagnostics and so on when they have that clinical impact. Uh, but really, if you look at all the potential use cases, uh, this is kind of where most of that lives under the current regulatory authority. The new guidance that came out from FDI expands this somewhat, uh, but still there's a ton of areas and use cases that uh, are largely unregulated by the government uh, and have minimal, if, if not uh, any, oversight. Um, there's some efforts in the marketplace, a couple different coalitions who are trying to address some of this on their own, but it is largely the Wild West and handled by the industry. 
um, especially when it comes to things like administrative transactions. Uh, so if you think of a scheduling tool, um, there's been a lot of studies at the University of Chicago and others that show it can have a very disparate impact on patients in one community compared to another one, especially by certain demographics. Um, so being able to look at these things that are unregulated and figure out how can we make sure that they're not causing issues with uh, un unfair uh, and, and unequitable access to care, quality of care, cost of care, et cetera. Um, these are a number of different ways. I know I'm, I'm out of time here, so I'm going to fly through this. But uh, again, this comes from Duke's um, Margolis Center for Health Policy. They did, they're doing a ton of great work around responsible use of AI. Um, and this is a nice way to think about the places uh, where you can look for how AI can become biased or unfair. It's not always intentional, right? Um, or sometimes it's not always unintentional, too. Um, but another way to look at it, being ONC, we like to think about it in a technical standpoint. Because um, a lot of people think it's just about the data, like, oh, well, it was trained on biased data or imperfect data. Uh, there's issues with the data, and, and it's not really the algorithm's fault. Uh, but really, these are kind of the three key phases where uh, potentially bias can, can lurk and kind of pop up and where you need to be looking for and evaluating it. And data is part of each one of these, these different areas, uh, but it's not the only thing. Uh, physician and clinician interaction with the tool and how it's being used and deployed can be another thing, for instance. Um, if you want to learn more about all the work going on, both by the industry as well as by um, the federal government, uh, we put together, I, I led this uh, work or this uh, showcase back in January uh, where we had about 40 presentations. Uh, all of them are about three to five minutes in length. So it's kind of like a pitch competition for startups, uh, just real quick and, you know, and flowing. Um, the whole thing's recorded. You can get all the slides separately if you don't want to watch the whole thing. It's even indexed so you can skip to presentations if you want to watch only individual ones. Um, but half of the presentations are from industry, half of them are from other federal agencies like the FDA, uh, CMS, et cetera. Um, so again, it's a great place to kind of start, and there's been a ton of work that has continued even since this, uh, since this period. So, um, And then as far as the future health IT, uh, these are kind of like our, our key focus areas going you know, from this year uh, in, into the future. Uh, really looking at keep, you know, promoting that seamless, secure information sharing environment, doing whatever we can to minimize that friction for competition in the marketplace. Building on our federal investments, uh, the Secretary of HHS this year um, re-emphasized our coordination role and actually now made it a, a hard requirement that any agencies for procurement and policy development uh, under HHS, um, they have to review it with us before it goes out um, to make sure we can put in some of these standards requirements uh, we can put in some of these uh, suggestions on how to coordinate with all the other activities uh, into that RFI before it goes out, into that funding opportunity before it goes out, and so on. So we're, you know, being consistent with all of this. We've done that for years, but largely it's been on, on kind of like a request basis and kind of, you know, through relationships where the agencies like CMS or FDA would reach out to us for our input and our expertise. But now it's a requirement, not, not, a, not a nice to have. It's, an, it's a must have. Um, and then also, uh, you know, the idea of, um, looking at health equity is, is really kind of a, a key focus area. Um, and a good way to think about it is, although, you know, with, with the High Tech Act, um, the bunny on the left is, is something we achieved. We started to get a picture of the patient and how healthcare worked, you know, digitally and could analyze it to some extent. Um, we've been kind of evolving over the years, and we're still hoping to get to that bunny on the right, uh, which is basically adding every data point that you can find on the network, having interoperable, and, and creating a more clear picture of, of healthcare um, than, than we've had in the past. Uh, and this is going to rely upon an open architecture ecosystem, which we've been pushing for, uh, and, and creating those open industry standards and systems that are designed from the, the start for uh, you know, interoperability and, and uh, interact, interactivity. Um, so making sure that all the different um, nodes of, of data that's, or that are out there can easily plug and play and be part of the, the food chain, so to speak. Um, so we're trying to get that denser view overall. So sorry for the speed. 
Um, but it's a lot of content. I actually, believe it or not, trimmed a lot out of this presentation. So happy to share more details in some of those sections. Um, I, I have some other slides from other presentations I'd be happy to pass along to you. So if, you know, if there's more you want to learn about cures or whatever it may be, um, or innovation portfolio specifically, I, I'd be happy to, to expand on that. Uh, but please do reach out, find me this afternoon, or, or shoot me an email. I uh, would love to talk to you. Thank you.